Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello, and welcome along to this week's We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Coming up very shortly, I'll be joined by Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey and Chris Wasser as we are going to preview this year's Oscars. Great Irish interest, as you know, very exciting. Plus, we'll be going through some of the big releases hitting cinemas this week, one of which is Uncharted, the adaptation of the video game. This one stars Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. We'll be getting into that and more on this week's We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Yes, you were listening to We Love movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. I'm joined by Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey and Chris Wasser. And we're going to kick off this week's show by taking a look at this year's 94th Academy Awards, which airs on March 27th. And I think this year there's been kind of speculation that there might be a host. Then again, they might kind of go back to the way they've been doing it, where there's been no host. Andy, have you heard anything in regard this year if they're even thinking of going with a host? Yeah, they've confirmed that they are going with a host. They haven't revealed who it is yet. There's kind of talk of Kevin Hart and The Rock or Steve Martin and Martin Short, which I think is kind of a more realistic option. Because they've obviously got only mortars in the building to promote. So curious to see who they come up with for that, because over the last few years, it's seen to be a bit of a, a poison chalice. I'd like to see Franco and Anne Hathaway come back. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> uh, well, I, Franco is certainly a pariah at the moment. Chris, just as a, a curiosity for you, who do you think would be a good host? I know for me, the one person I would love to see get it would be Jim Carrey. I would. I just think he could really add something. Outside of the zaniness, I think you get some crazy musical stuff in there. It would be kind of like a... I'm, I'm even more madcap version of what a, a Billy Crystal would have done in his heyday. But I'm not sure about Kevin Hart or someone like that. I don't know. I just find Kevin Hart, very, keep him at a at an arm's length. Is there anyone that springs to mind that you think would be a decent uh, shot at it? A few things there. They won't give it to Kevin Hart, I don't think, because the last time they gave it to Kevin Hart, it never went ahead. And there was, if you recall, some uh, controversy over jokes from, you know, previous stand-up sets. And and then he wasn't going to apologize because he said that he had already apologized for offending people before. That was all a bit of a mess. They won't want to repeat that. In fact, that's the 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 the, the mess that kickstarted this reign of uh, not having, you know, this trend of, of not having a host. And I don't think they give it to Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson because I don't think he'll have anything to promote around that time. And as we know here, and we love movies, he only really does things to promote a brand or to promote a film. The realistic option is that they would mice go down the Martin Short, Steve Martin uh, route. You know, it's a tried and tested formula and it's one that is quite successful and quite charming again, thanks to Only Mortars in the Building, which is a terrific show. Or... And this is a terrifying prospect, but also a realistic one. James Corden. I think oh. Jim Carrey is too, it's too out of reach. It's, I, 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 you know, that's, that's the dream right there, Gordon. And, and I think he would be tremendous at it. But James Corden is a very frightening, but as I say, realistic option there. There is a drop off. Jim Carrey to James <laughs> Corden. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, but you know what, Chris? You are right, because he is a song and dance man, James yep. Corden. And so he could definitely fit the bill. And yeah, I think they want to step away from anything somewhat edgy. The reason that Kevin Hart sort of sprung to mind again was I thought it might come back from the cold. 
bygones be bygones. Look at look at Disney embracing James Gunn again for his series of off color tweets from the past. And maybe it's a case of Kevin Hart has moved on. But yeah, you're right. They probably don't want to tempt fate and have an absolute ruckus online once again. But I want to chat now and we're going to preview the Oscars and see who everyone might come up uh, trumps on the night. And there is some great Irish interest. And if anyone saw the um, when the nominations were announced, some of the big talking points is the fact that they made a Hames of pronouncing some of the names. The way that L fella mangled Denis Villeneuve's name as well. I don't know where they wheeled that fella in from, but Jeannie Maxwell. And then your one calling uh, Kieran Hines, Corrine. I was like, what in the name of sweet divine? But anyway, we're going to kick off with Best Supporting Actress. And it's great to see Jessie Buckley in there for The Lost Daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal's film, which is on Netflix. She's joined by uh, Ariane DeBose from uh, West Side Story, Judy Dench, Belfast, uh, Kirsten Dunst, the, the Power of the Dog. And I'll probably make a name, a names of this, but Anjane M. Ellis for King Richard. You would love to, of course, you know, I've got the green jersey on here to see Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter. But I'm sure Judy Dench is going to give her a run for her money. Now, I haven't seen The Power of the Dog, Andy. You have. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, how good is she in that? She is spectacular in that. And I think what she's done, which is very clever, she's kind of doing her campaign trail now. You've seen Kirsten Dunst up on every podcast and every interview really talking up the academy and the fact that you know it's such an honor to receive this it sounds like it doesn't matter but the academy loves these type of things like someone who will you know talk about them with such revenance rather than somebody who'll just go oh yeah it's my fifth or sixth nomination i don't really care so i think that will work an awful lot in our favor jesse buckley i'm sad to say i don't see has much of a choice this very much seems like it's ariana de Bosse from west side story it's her salute she won the golden globe i think she won the bafta as well every award up to now she's got could be a surprise night with judy dench because that could be the one where people go she seems to be the, the name that you give to if you haven't seen you know two or three of the other films you're like oh, judy dench is a, a safe pair of hands to give it to but I think very much Ariana DeBose is the lose in this category. Do you know if the awful sad thing is when I think of Judy Dench, I think of the fact that she has a, a HW tattooed on her bum. She uh, revealed on Graham Norton many years ago that uh, she owes an awful lot to Harvey Weinstein because uh, he was pivotal in casting her in Mrs. Brown. And Mrs. Brown was a bit of a gear change for her because just as a mature actor, um, that, that kind of really gave her an awful lot of international acclaim, that film in which she played Queen Victoria alongside Billy Connolly. And she always wanted to thank Harvey Weinstein, but felt, what do you get the man that has everything? And so she uh, got um, his initials tattooed on her backside. Oh, dear Lord. True Just story. to clear up, it's not true. She, it was a, a joke she'd made on Graham Norton and actually said later on that she hadn't got it done. Because oh, thank th- thankfully thank goodness. it has. And also, Gordon, I'd also like to thank you for now. My um, search history has Judy Dench bum tattoo forever. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure the ads I'm going to get off the back of this now will be interesting, to say the least. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Well, listen, in- <laughs> I hope that's not a work computer that you've been using. Right. <laughs> Explaining that to IT. Uh, Chris, want to bring you in here with Best Original Screenplay. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, Belfast, Don't Look Up, Adam McKay um, is in there alongside David Serrata, uh, Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson, King Richard, uh, Zach Balin, and The Worst Person in the World, uh, Eskil Voix, and then we got Hokum Trier in there as well. 
Useless trivia here. Um, again, I hope I get this one right. Um, Licorice Pizza was um, the name of a very famous Canadian record store. And I wonder, is that where Paul Thomas Anderson got the name for his film? Chris, this looks to be a very tough category. Um, of course, Adam McKay has won there in the past. Paul Thomas Anderson has been banging at that door for some time. But then Belfast is a very personal film to Kenneth Branagh. Um, not, I, I, not that I'm taking anything away from the King Richard and the worst person in the world, but I've been nearly seeing as a three horse race between Belfast, Don't Look Up and Licorice Pizza. Where do you see the Oscar going? I'll tell you what, I have yet to see Licorice Pizza, which is a which is a shame. And I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, usually with a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I will have seen it on the big screen. Um, so I've yet to get around to that. And yeah, look, there's three ways it could go about this. It could be, let's give it to Paul Thomas Anderson. He has been banging on that door for years. And it would be one of those Oscars that we'll be talking about potentially years from now and thinking, oh, he kind of got that as a kind of a, a one for all sort of deal. You know, we owe him this Oscar almost, which is not to, you know, insult the man. He's a phenomenal filmmaker, but uh, it, it might just be a case of, look, you know, we should have awarded him years ago. For Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, that might be not the safe option, but maybe the one where it's like, look, this is a very personal story, whatever about, you know, the performances in the film and the direction. It's a sweet autobiographical tale that has just, you know, it's kind of been the underdog since the start. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful success story for Branagh and for everyone involved in the film and for Ireland that it might just be like, let's go and give it to uh, uh, Branagh. But in terms of the one that if Academy voters wanted to kickstart a conversation that night or the morning after the ceremony, give it to Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. Now, I fall into the category of viewers that thoroughly enjoyed Don't Look Up. I don't care about the conversations that started around it. There is an easy way out of the ridiculous conversations that started around Don't Look Up and how, you know, this ridiculous notion that critics who didn't like it didn't get you know, the climate change message or that they hated what the film was trying to say about the media. There's one way out of that conversation. Just mute it on social media. I enjoyed Don't Look Up for what it was. I thought, you know, some of the ideas in it were quite clever. I enjoyed the ridiculousness of some of the performances and also the intensity of some of the performances. I did think it was a, a, a lot funnier than maybe some of my colleagues. I thought the whole thing was reasonably put together I, my, my, my one big flaw with it was that there was probably too much of it. It didn't need to uh, be almost two and a half hours long. Like the sometimes, idea of an Oscar going to a film that has a naked Meryl Streep getting yes, yeah, well that's a, that's yeah, well this is an interesting <laughs> show, isn't it? <laughs> naked, naked Julie Dance, naked Meryl Streep. Um, but I think that could be the option that you know we'll wake up on March twenty eighth and go, oh wow, right, people are going to be annoyed about this. This is the kind of you know left to center uh, option, actually giving Adam McKay uh, a, 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 an Oscar uh, for for his ridiculous satire. I'm sure it's going to be, as I said, Brano will be safe. Flickers Pizza, you know, let's award Paul Thomas Anderson after all these years. Don't look up. Let's let's you know annoy everyone. It's, oh. I'm, I'm I'm a bit unsure to be honest. Yeah, I yeah I know what you mean. I I think really in the end I. If it was like a horse race, I kind of tend to use that analogy when it comes to the Oscars. I feel it could be between uh, Belfast and Don't Look Up. But I, my heart wants it to go to Paul Thomas Anderson for Lic- Licorice Pizza. Uh, Livia, I want to bring you in now because we're going to get to a Best Supporting Actor now. And good old Corrine Hines is in there for Belfast. And we've got a Troy Kutzer for Coda. By the way, I'm taking the you know what when, I, when I'm saying Kieran Hines, because, of course, I'm um, I'm having a little dig at the L fella who uh, completely made aims of his name. Poor uh, Leslie. <laughs> who, who is Leslie? The, the, the fella who Leslie, announced it. So Leslie, he's like one of those like um, 
old school camp actors that has appeared in many a TV series over the years. Like he's an absolute dote of a man, but bless him, he couldn't pronounce half the names. But himself and Tracy Ellis Ross didn't half as bad a job or hilarious a job, shall we say, as Snoop Dogg. So, you know, we'll we'll let them away with it. It was only two names. Snoop butchered Ben Affleck for crying out loud. Did he? Sweet divine, mind you. He could have been having a, a talk of an old Jamaican woodbine before he went on stage. And just to get through the rest of the uh, the the uh, the the the, the nominees, uh, Troy Kutzer mentioned for Coda. Now, uh, the power of the dog has two actors in this: uh, Jesse Plemons and uh, Cody Smith McPhee. And then J.K. Simmons is in there for being the Ricardos. So uh, J.K. Simmons, of course, has won in the past for Whiplash. Of course, again with the jersey on, you wanted to go to Kieran Hines. But Andy has been bowled over by the performance of Cody Smith McPhee uh, for The Power of the Dog. So I am very intrigued to see that film. Just, Olivia, where do you see it going? Is, is, is this a tough category to call? Do you know what it really is? And for me, J.K. Simmons being nominated, he was one of those kind of outliers where he hadn't really been nominated that much throughout award season so far. So when he was actually tipped for the Oscar, um, the Oscar nod, everyone kind of went, oh, OK. And because he is a bit of an Academy Award darling, um, especially after that amazing whiplash performance, you can't really rule him out as being a potential winner in the category. At the end of the day, um, it is Cody's to lose. Um, he is spectacular in The Power of the Dog. It's one of those performances where you're, you're wondering, is he going to end up on the list of, you know, could he have won for the fewest amount of uh, screen time <laughs> of them all? Um, because he does take a, uh, he does go missing in the middle, shall we say. Um, but at the end of the day, it is just a spectacular performance. So whether he's on the screen for the whole way through or not, it is still a very, very deserving performance. As much as we would love for Kieran Hines to take it home, um, I just don't see him beating Simmons or Cody. You've written a piece, haven't you, Olivia, on Geek Ireland, just in regard to uh, supporting actors not uh, who've won Oscars uh, but, and haven't been on screen that much. I did. It's a, it's a very fun one. Uh, <laughs> I did. Because you do notice over the years that there have been some performers that have won for like less than 20 minutes of screen time. And when you think about how long films are these days, that's a very, very small percentage of the film um, in the grand scheme of things. One of the most recent ones was Anne Hathaway. She appeared for only, I think it was like 15 minutes. Anthony Hopkins won his Oscar for less than 20 minutes. I think it was like 18 or so. Uh, The record is for a film called The Network and the actress's name has just gone out of my head, but she was on screen for a grand total of five minutes and 40 seconds and she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar that year. So... It just goes to show that just because you don't have a lot of screen time does not mean that your performance wasn't so amazing that you could still take home the accolade. That's amazing. Oh, just over five minutes. Let's move on to best animated. Uh, oh, sorry. Where do you think? Where do you see it going? Do you, I know it's it's open. Would you think Kieran Kieran could do it? Kieran Kieran. Uh, no, I think it's Cody's hands down. I don't think anybody else should get it personally. I think oh. it should be his. Okay, best animated feature. Um, Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus The Machines, Rhea and The Last Dragon. Andy, I would love it to go to The Mitchells versus The Machines, but I have a sneaking suspicion Encanto is going to get it because Encanto just seems to be almost like the greatest showman. It started off kind of slow, but over the last while, it has just grown and... We don't need to talk about Bruno. That song, it, it seems to be nonstop at the moment. It, it, you know, the love for that song has just gone bananas. I, again, 
any ideas where the Oscar might go in this category? Yeah, Bruno, I'd say they're very surprised, especially the, the momentum seems to be with them going into this, not to get the nomination. Luca was meh, right in the last dragon, pretty much the same. Mitchell's and the machines, I absolutely loved. And I'm very surprised that it hasn't been split between that and Encanto because Encanto was was is a good film, but I really thought Mitchell's and the Machines was something special. It was one of the best animated films I'd seen in a long time. And it was one of those films that I was like, I wouldn't be annoyed if this slipped into the, you know, the, the best picture nominees. But I, I think based on everything going up to this, it's going to be Encanto. If I was putting on it, that's what it was. But an outside bet, Mitchell's and the Machines, and again, to go back to campaign, and Lord and Miller have been retweeting and tweeting everything that Mitchell the Machine positive and really kind of digging up doing these little cool little animated videos about the fact that, you know, the cast has been nominated for, for an Oscar. So again, don't count those little, you know, things out that the Academy of Fine Charming, like they want to start putting stuff out there that promotes themselves. And Lord and Miller seem to be playing that game very well at the moment. So wouldn't quite rule it out. There's still a month of, you know, it sounds like an election campaign, which you know kind of is at this point. <laughs> but if I was back in money, I'd put on a candle, but I'd love to see Mitchell's and the Machines take it. We're going to move on. Oh, nice one, Andy. We're going to move on to best cinematography now, Chris. And this is going to be a tough category. We've got Dune in there, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, West Side Story there as well. Um, Dune, I had to check it out because I initially thought that um, uh, that Denis Villeneuve would be working with Richard uh, Deacons again. But he's not. He's working with a guy by the name of Greg Frazier, who made Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I was going to say made it. He was the cinematographer on it. Uh, this is a very, very tight uh, category altogether. But then again, I don't know. I'm kind of leaning toward West Side Story. Where are you leaning as a matter of interest, Chris? Oh, I'm leaning in towards Greg Fraser for doing because, you know, I will bore listeners and Andy again by saying that the 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 one thing, uh, the biggest thing, uh, my biggest takeaway from from doing was on, you know, on a technical level, it is an incredible achievement. And I did at the time and I still do encourage people to, you know, if it ever does come up on the big screen again, and I, do, I, I think it will later this year again, uh, see it on the biggest screen possible because it won't be the same in your laptop or your television at home unless you have an amazing system. It is just a terrific looking sci-fi. It's just, it's, it's, it's perfect looking. Um, and yes, West Side Story was quite cinematic and quite, you know, it's this wonderful, vibrant widescreen. Adventure of the Power of the Dog is very impressive looking, but it's just Dune, I think, is in a league of its own there. And I think that's, we'll look back on Dune and think, you know, Villeneuve should have been nominated for, for director. It probably should have received another few nominations. But uh, in terms of cinematography, it's miles ahead of the rest. Oh, now Janice Kaminsky is uh, Spielberg's go-to cinematographer. I think he's been working with him since Schindler's List. They have pretty much been inseparable. Like the way John Williams, I think the only film that John Williams hasn't scored for uh, Spielberg has, well, in the last few decades has been, I think, Bridge of Spies. I think that was the only one. I think it might have been for ill health at the time. But but yeah, Kaminsky has been at Spielberg's side. I'm, I'm leaning toward West Side Story in that one. That'll be a fascinating catch we to play out. Um, Olivia, um. We're going to move on to Best Actress now. Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, probably one of the best better things in that film. Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Monsters, Nicole Kidman being The Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart in Spencer. Kristen Stewart in Spencer, I'm still kind of shocked that she's in there. Uh, now, uh, uh, this is a very tough one to see where it's, it's, it's mm. going to go. Olivia Coleman, I'm kind of leaning toward her. This could be her second big Oscar. 
Yeah, I am actually kind of feeling the same way as well, because as much as Nicole Kidman has been getting a lot of buzz for her role in being the Ricardos, and in fairness, the buzz is well-deserved. She is, it's one of the best things that she's done in years. What did with the Phoenix is one of those roles where when you actually sort of sit down and watch it and really look at all of her little nuances and just the subtlety of her performance, it's just so properly hitting into your soul that I think people are going to feel a bit more of a connection to her performance than they will for Kidman's. In fairness, it is a two-way battle in my opinion. Like Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye, She's, again, another Academy Award darling. She's been nominated a number of times before. Never took home the gold. So who knows, maybe they might decide to give it to her for this one. Um, I just don't see it happening when you have the performances of Coleman and Kidman in the mix as well. Stewart, in my opinion, shouldn't have been nominated. Um, Was her performance good? I think it was better than Andy said it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I um, I do think like she deserved all the praise that she got for it, but I don't think she was better than Gaga. And I think Lady Gaga being snubbed in this category, as many are seeing in favour of Stuart or Penelope Cruz, I think that was a little bit unfair. I think Gaga's performance was better than both of them. Mm-hmm. So for me, Stuart would have been the weakest of the bunch. Now, it's a great feather in her cap to have gotten the nomination. Yes, Lady Gaga already has her statuette at home for Best Original Song from The Star is Born. Um, but I think in terms of her acting performance, I thought she was the best thing in House of Gucci and she deserved the nod over anybody. So yeah, it's it's disappointing that she wasn't in there. But yeah, it's definitely, um, I'm going to go with my namesake. I'm going to say it's Coleman's. Oh, very good. Okay, that's the best category for uh, Best Actress. We're going to move on now to Best Actor. And uh, Penelope Cruz's other half, Javier Bardem, he's in being the Ricardos alongside Nicole Kidman, Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of Dog, Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith in King Richard, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. God, that's a tough category, Andy. Yeah, um, it seems to be that Will Smith has been the the kind of the the runaway favorite since the the star since King Richard Force came out. It is a kind of like it's a good film. It's a very kind of by the numbers biopic as well. I think, and again to go back to the campaign and thing, I think Andrew Garfield could be the dark horse here because he was he wrote this you know two page essay about how much of an honor it was, how he still sees himself as a theater kid, and how you know the Academy Awards matter and all this. Again really playing to the gallery. Will Smith has been absolutely absent. He released his, his YouTube channel, which is genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen on earth. His book as well, which he shared far, far too much. They could work against him. Like he hasn't hit the campaign trail yet. There's still a month to go. But I think this could be the one where there's an upset. I think Garfield might be the, the one to nick it here. Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog as well, especially if that film starts getting um, victories at the start. Like you start seeing it winning like things like edit and production design. It could be the kind of, you know, sneaky runaway success where all of a sudden this film, which didn't have a hell of a lot of momentum, all of a sudden ends up as, you know, a film that has nine Oscars. So he is, uh, Cumberbatch is very, very good. It was a bit iffy. The first scene in the film is him on a horse and the accent is kind of slipping in and out. I was like, oh, good God, I'm for this. But again, much like the film itself, it it starts to reveal itself and it's a, a very surprising, very nuanced one of his, best performances that I've ever seen. Bardem, absolutely no chance of winning that. I'm shocked he even got nominated. Denzel Washington as well for Tragedy Macbeth. Again, a good performance in a very underseen film, but a very 
I'd say uh, niche film, shall we say? I, I can't see that being the one where he gets a, an Oscar, not before he gets an Oscar win, especially when you know he, he got it for Training Day uh, a couple of years ago, which was seen as you know his token one for ones that he maybe should have got in the past. Will Smith is the the, the red hot favorite for this, but if you're you know if you have a, a few quid you don't fancy seeing again, I'd say Andrew Garfield might be the one to to put a few bob on. Nice one, Andy. Uh, best director now, Chris. Uh, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. Drive My Car. Bear with me now on the pronunciation. Razuki Hamaguchi. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog. And Steven Spielberg, West Side Story. I'm going, I'm going to say it'll probably be between Kenneth Branagh and Jane Campion in this category. Chris, who's going to be slugging it out, do you think? I think it could be between Steven Spielberg and Jane Campion, uh, because whatever about West Side Story's uh, commercial success or, or, or lack thereof, like it is a, a, a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal stage uh, a film, and and for Spielberg to kind of, I think this is his eighth best director nomination um for him to be still in these conversations i think that's that's that's, that's incredible um and and it could be that he could be that you know academy voters will surprise us and say no look spielberg directed uh the 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 best film in 2021 and he gets it jane campion then is the other choice because the power of the dog it's just it's just almost come out of nowhere and i think uh you know andy was saying something earlier that like maybe people will start coming to this film thanks to the awards buzz you know people will be looking at the number of nominations and going well you know that's what we're going to love to see the Netflix figures now for this weekend in terms of how many of them tune into um, uh, The Power of the Dog. I don't think Kenneth Branagh will get it. Uh, Drive My Car is a film now on my radar thanks to all of the awards buzz, a little bit like what I'm saying about The Power of the Dog. So I'm not too sure about that one yet. I will come back to that. But I think it might be between Spielberg and Campion. Oh, okay. There we go. Now, all of you have a have a think now about this next category uh, because we are now at Best Picture. Olivia, I'm going to start with you, but first um, I'm going to quickly run through um, the nominees. We've got Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog and West Side Story. I hate to say this, but normally if say if a film has been nominated in the best picture category, but the director hasn't been nominated in the, the obviously the director category, I always kind of feel that film just doesn't have a chance. So I, straight away, I'm weeding out Nightmare Alley because Guillermo del Toro didn't get a, a nomination. A Licorice Pizza, uh, Paul Thomas Adams, apologies. Uh, Dune, Denis Villeneuve, he hasn't been nominated. And Don't Look Up, well, Adam McKay, he got nominated for screenplay, but, uh, but he's not in the director category. Coda, Similar as well, the director of that film isn't in there too. So I'd be kind of going like it's it's up there between the likes of Belfast, the power of the power of the dog, and West Side Story. Olivia, to yourself first, where is the Oscar for Best Picture going? So I'm actually going to start just by saying, don't rule out Dune because um, it is nominated for editing and cinematography. And the years where a film that has won that hasn't been nominated for Best Director. They've been nominated in both of those categories um, alternatively. So in that sense, with Dune still being nominated in those two instead of director, which I think is an absolute travesty, um, then I would still actually say that Dune is still in the running, but I don't think it's going to get it. It's not going to pull an Argo um, like uh, with Ben Affleck. Um, I personally think it's a two ways between uh, Belfast and Power of the Dog, but Drive My Car. The fact that Drive My Car has been nominated not only for Best Director, best oh is it original or adopted screenplay my memory is failing me right now um but it's also nominated in the foreign language category so it could 
pull a parasite and just snake its way in there because it, it actually had a, a screening here for the Japanese Film Festival. Everybody was talking about it, ranting and raving about it. And the fact that it's now getting this kind of attention as well, who knows? It could be people see it and they're like, this is a surprising film. And when if something that you weren't expecting comes along and you're like, oh, this is rather good. You're more inclined to kind of give it your vote because you might think, oh, maybe nobody else will. But yes. if everybody thinks that same way, then it could pull it, pull a sneaky and it could uh, could actually take it home. OK, Don't Look Up could be the surprise one there. Andy, where do you see the Oscar for Best Picture going? I'm going to say I think it's going to be a surprise in the night. I think it's going to be Belfast. I don't think that Drive, I think Drive My Car is going to win Best Foreign Film. I think that's, you know, it's very much the kids table there now. I don't think it has the kind of momentum or crossover that Parasite had. And it doesn't have Bong John who was, you know, again blazing at the campaign trail i think it's a shootout between belfast and power of the dog i think power of the dog could be hurt by the fact that it's a netflix film as well and i think there's still that certain amount of snobbery especially around a lot of the academy of voters who you know would have you know huge investments in theaters as well not wanting to give it to the likes of netflix and amazon because they're streaming only and i think the power of the dog didn't have that marketing campaign as well surrounding it because it's a netflix film as well I think I can see this being the, the, the cheeky one that I think Belfast might take that as the surprise. I think Power of the Dog's going to walk away with a hell of a lot of awards. And I think Belfast, this could be, you know, one of the only winners it has on the night, but one of the biggest ones, of the, well, arguably the, the biggest one on the night. Oh, yeah. I think Belfast is going to do particularly well. I know Mark Kermode um, in the, with the BBC, he's he feels Belfast is going to walk away with this year's best picture. Uh, Chris if Don't Wat- Look Up wins, I'm never watching this show ever again. Oh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Chris Wasser, we'll leave the, the, the final say to you. Best picture. Where do you think it's going? Oh, it'd be hilarious if Don't Look Up won, wouldn't it? I just, yeah, I would love that. I would also love um, if Don't Look Up won uh, for the photographers to turn their attention on the crowd and just to see the reactions from some from some very famous faces. I think it would potentially be up there with the uh, that famous picture of everyone kind of wondering what went wrong when La La Land was mistakenly awarded Best Picture. Uh, I do think, though, that we might be we might be seeing whatever about him not getting Best Director. I think he will get Best Original Screenplay. Brano will be on stage, and I think it will be a sight to see Jamie Dornan and Kieran Hines and and the rest of them up on that stage for Belfast. It's sort of theirs to lose, to be honest. Uh, I will be so surprised. I mean, I quite you know I I did quite like Nightmare Alley. It's not going to get it. You know, I I I I thoroughly enjoy it. Although I had some issues with Dune, it's not going to get it. You know, there's there there are all these you know facts there to support the you know the the this idea that you know that when you're nominated for best picture, but but the director of that film is not nominated for best director, they don't get it. We you know that could be thrown out the window entirely. But I think it might be between Belfast and Power of the Dog. I think it might be Belfast. Also, another thing that Olivia said, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is this thing still that we, we we come away from the nominations every year and go wow this has been a great year for for amazon film this has been a great year for netflix they the, the voters won't give it to a streaming title there is still that little bit of uh, snobbery there mm-hmm. hopefully one day you know they'll get over it but i don't think this is the year for it interesting guys thank you so much that is our take on uh, the Oscars, which will be taking place on March 27th, the 94th Academy Awards. Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fay, great to get your insights. That is part one to a close on We Love Movies. But coming up after the break, we're going to be taking a look at some of this weekend's new cinema releases. Uncharted and Death on the Nile are the two biggies. We're back very shortly, right here on Spin. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin.
You are very welcome back to We Love Movies. Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey and Andy McCarroll are still with me. We're going to take a look now at a couple of the new releases in cinemas this weekend. We're going to begin with Death on the Nile. It's the latest sequel featuring Kenneth Branagh's Hercule Poirot. Well, when I say it, his, um, obviously his take on the character, but of course, uh, 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 written by Agatha Christie. All-star cast in here once again. Chris, well, what is happening in the plot for this whodunit? Okay, so well, plot-wise, uh, yeah, you do have Branagh directing and also starring as Hercule Poirot. And long story short, he's on his holliers, Gordon. And for reasons I can never really understand, he always manages to find himself at the center of whatever you know uh, controversy is happening in the place where he is. And he bags himself a spot on someone else's honeymoon. So we have uh, Lene Ridgeway-Doyle, played by Gal Gadot. Uh, she is a filthy rich something or other. Uh, and she has just married a chap by the name of Simon Doyle, who is betrayed by Army Hammer. We'll come back to him in a bit. And he is the not-so-rich fiancé that she actually stole, uh, or the film, you know, is telling us, oh, you stole the fiancé from your good pal, her good pal being Emma Mackey's uh, Jacqueline de Belfort. So it's a bit of a, a complicated, messy love triangle there, and Poirot has front row seats to the whole thing. And the, the, the story is that Simon and Lynette, they had this whirlwind romance, six weeks, that's all it took before they got married, and they've invited all of these, you know, family members, so you've got French and Saunders, in, in there, uh, a jealous ex-partner portrayed by Russell Brand, uh, you know, questionable acquaintances. I mean, Annette Benning is in there with a very peculiar British accent and and a lawyer, you know, because we're dealing with filthy rich people played by Ali Fazel. They've enjoyed they've invited all of these people to uh, join them for sort of, you know, a, a swanky swing soiree in Egypt. And the, un- the only thing is, the only problem is that they did not invite Jacqueline, who is the girl who used to be engaged to Simon Doyle. But she shows up anyway, and more still, she shows up with a gun. So Poirot is there and he says to them look I think it's a good idea that you go home cut the honeymoon short you could be your lives could be in danger there do they listen well we've got a film to be getting on with so they don't um, instead they move the party to the water they rent out this extravagant river steamer and one thing leads to another and after you know a, a bum numbing 70 minutes that's how long it takes uh, which is almost as long as this review sorry uh, the, someone actually dies there is actually a death on the Nile so it's up to Pyro then to figure out who done it before they do it again all right, here's a clip from Death on the Nile. Someone is dead. The crime is murder. The murderer is one of you. Were you aware of any grudges? Madame is used to getting what she wants. Never again is what she I don't feel safe here. I don't feel safe with any of that. There are so many conflicting hates and jealousies. I like this. Did you see or hear anything? I did not trust her. I still don't. What did you do last night? You accused me of murder. He accuses everyone of murder. It is a problem, I admit. Clip there from Death on the Nile. Andy, one of the stars of this film, it's an all-star cast, and Disney have had their their work cut out for them because they're probably trying to desperately think how could they could cut out Army Hammer from um, a lot of the um, publicity material around this film, bearing in mind he's one of the main cast members in here because, unfortunately, Army Hammer's personal life has tarnished his career. And it seems that the man probably will never work again in, in a real high-profile capacity. And um, if people are just maybe a bit like, well, what exactly what happened again? Can you give us just a quick back background and just the difficulties Disney have had in marketing this latest Poirot adventure? Yeah, he was, uh, again, these are all um, accusations at the moment, accusations of non-consensual uh, abuse, physical, emotional. 
And the one that kind of grabbed the most headlines is he has apparently a cannibal fetish, which is not a sentence I was expecting to say on a movie show, but it, it, it's enough to have him drop for some really, really big movies. He's supposed to be in a movie with Jennifer Lopez. He got replaced from that. Death on the Nile, I'm sure if they had any option, unfortunately, that he's front and center for quite a bit of this, he would have been cut from this as well. And I'm sure Kenneth Branagh is furious that his you know big Oscar campaign is kind of tarnished by the fact that now he has to explain why he one of his cast members is a cannibal. So I, like you said, I can't see anyone kind of hiring him and having to deal with the fallout of that. But it's Hollywood, baby. Stranger things have happened. Hey, Chris, in terms of the marketing for this, like, has it been a difficult one or do, do or, or, or Army Hammer, has he gone so much uh, under the radar now in terms of his profile that people have just forgotten? Do they even care now? Uh, in terms of the marketing of this film, Gordon, there is no marketing for this film. It's completely non-existent. Uh, uh, from what I've uh, from what I've read over the last couple of weeks, there there the, any plan to have you know a, a junket or any sort of promotional activity for the cast was just completely scrapped. Now that could be. Now we're just speculating here, but this that could be something. It could have something to do with the fact that Brana is on a roll with Belfast, and maybe the studio just doesn't. Even though you know. They are uh, different studios. One's a Universal picture, the other one's a Searchlight under Disney. It could just be, you know, that Branagh said, look, I don't want anything spoiling the Belfast thing. That's just pure speculation. Um, but whatever way you look at it, this film still exists and it still has Army Hammer front and center. I mean, there was a conversation at one stage when the accusations came out because this film was actually supposed to be out two years ago because it's a fault to 2017's Murder on the Orient Express. Brana more or less went straight into this one. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. So there was a lot of conversations around the beginning of the pandemic, or maybe up to halfway through, that there was time to potentially hire another actor or digitally alter Hammer scenes or, you know, put a different performer in there. Just do maybe a bit of an all the money in the world situation where Ridley Scott, you know, brought in Christopher Plummer to replace Kevin Spacey, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they didn't do that. And when you see the film, you kind of understand why, because he is in so much of it. Unfortunately, when you see the film and some of the scenes that Harmy Army is involved in, let's just say, given the nature of the allegations, they are very uncomfortable to watch. So there is a part of us that has, has to, you know, maybe if, we, if it's possible, it's a conversation for another day. But for now, separate Hammer from the rest of the film. And what people will want to know is, is it any good? I think it is. Um, but I think, you know, the second for the second time running, uh, you know, Brana has made an imperfect but perfectly watchable uh, Poirot film. And what I mean by that is it's just it looks very pretty. You know, he's assembled another big cast. I mean, it is a bit of an Aldi versus MS kind of cast. I mean, look at that cast he had the last time. You know, he had Judy Dench, Olivia Coleman, he had Penelope Cruz, um, all of them nominated for Oscars this year. In this one, you've got Russell Brand and Francis Saunders. So the balance is a bit off there. Um, but the story is better. Uh, Brana does have a bit of more of an idea. I mean, he is still unsure whether or not he should play Poirot as a sort of comedic figure or, or, or a deadly serious one. He's very good at doing them both, but there is still a bit of confusion about the tone of this thing and i think the one thing that's still holding it back although i would watch maybe one more if you wanted to give another agatha christie uh, mystery a go the one thing that's holding it back is i would love maybe he has had this conversation with his cast but there seems to be this confusion about how over the top everyone should be and they don't need to be almost winking i mean there are times in the film where gal Gadot almost winks at the camera and you think she's going to do it any any second these things these stories they're fantastic whodunits. They're very cleverly plotted. They are inherently stagey. You don't need then your performers to go over the top. 
the material is already there. Just, 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 just treat it as normal. Treat it as a serious drama. That will actually be better. It's this pantomime quality that everyone brings to it that gets a little bit annoying after a while. And also, as I said, it's far too long. So they're perfectly watchable films, but there is just a bit of frustration there that it's like, come on, this is Kenneth Branagh. I think you can do a bit better. It's funny you said that because Russell Brand during his his interview about this mentioned that, oh, this is very like Clue, the kind of the Tim Curry farce. And then in an interview with Kenneth Branagh, he said, oh, this is very Hitchcockian. So it it does seem like even the cast themselves didn't know what type of film they were supposed to be in. God, that, that, wow, that that sums it up big time. Out of 10, Chris, for Death on the Nile? I think I give it a a solid-ish 6 out of 10. Uh, Worth a go. but And as I say, I think there are signs. There is enough to suggest that he does have it in him to make a brilliant Poirot film. So I would, I'd give him one more shot at it. I also think as well, a film like this, when you're kind of like, oh, it's all right. And then obviously when the big reveal is made, it doesn't really lend itself to rewatches either. So and that that's another big thing, unfortunately, sometimes with the with the who done it. Chris, so giving it a six out of ten, that is Death on the Nile. Now we're going to move on to Uncharted, which is directed by that hack for hire, Ruben Fleischer. And you probably go, who is that fella? And uh, like in the past, like you know, he, he made a, the two Zombieland movies. He's also made Venom. He did that. Um, do you remember that film, Andy, with uh, Sean Pennett and Ryan Gosling? It was a it was Gangster, a Gangster squad. squad. It was terrible. Awful. Wasn't <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Awful flashbacks. Oh, and the one good scene that was in the trailer, they had to take out because of obviously the uh, the cinema shooting in Colorado. So it was pretty much the one action scene they had in the film they had to take oh, yeah. out. That is right. God, well remembered. God, that was such a poor, poor film. It was just like trying to be an adult version of Dick Tracy. It's just, oh, shocking. But anyway, he was brought in to uh, direct Uncharted because the original filmmaker, uh, the fella behind Bumblebee and Kubo and the Two Strings, um, again, the old, I don't know if it was uh, scheduling um, conflict um, or um, or I probably down to the, the probably more uh, along the lines of uh, a creative differences. Travis Knight, he departed. Fleischer is brought in at the 11th hour. Anyway, uh, Olivia, you've seen Uncharted. Tom Holland stars in it. Mark Wahlberg is in there too. I, I, I don't know why he's here. But anyway, um, what is going on here um, with uh, Nick Drake? Is not the, the character's name that Tom Holland plays? Nathan Drake, Nathan actually. Drake. You're half right. So, yes, basically Uncharted, based on the highly, highly, highly successful PlayStation game. Um, it's starring Tom Holland as Nathan Drake, which is basically a bit of a shocker to most people because Nathan Drake in the video games is much older. So what they've done is this is essentially how Nathan got onto the path of his adventures and hijinks that we see in the video games. So it's kind of like an origin story, but a very, very loose (laughs) origin story. Um, So we get to actually see how Nathan meets up with Sully. Sully being one of his companions that you see throughout the games. And Sully is played by Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg looks nothing like Sully in the video game. So as you were saying, what is he doing? Um, Essentially, Sully needs Nathan's help. He is looking for this old ship with gold and looking for it all over the world. And yeah, basically he knows that Nathan and his brother, Sam, um, had been looking into it when they were younger. And having worked with Sam, he knew that Nathan would probably be able to help him out in this next stage of his adventure. Nathan and Sam haven't seen each other since they were kids. Um, so there's also that kind of mystery of where is Sam going on as well. 
they go on this lovely global adventure. There is a lot of action and hijinks. And yeah, I, pretty, I think that kind of covers everything you sort of need to know about the plot. <laughs> OK, sounds like a baby Indiana Jones. Here is a clip from Uncharted. 500 years ago, my family found the world's biggest fortune, then was betrayed. People have been searching for it all in vain. Both you turned the keys clockwise at the same time. Thanks a lot. You almost got me killed. Clockwise, Sully? Well, it was 50-50, so I made a guess. Clearly. But the voyage was not just about gold. It was something much more valuable. This girl has a very tragic history. So much blood. I'm pretty sure he just threatened to kill me. Oh, this is gonna suck! Don't get caught. You were just gonna leave me back there. Somebody had to get the cross. So, Uncharted starring Tom Holland and I don't know why he's there, Mark Wahlberg. Can we just chat about Mark Wahlberg for a minute, please, Andy? Because I... He's purely there, it seems, for stunt casting reasons. Now, I don't know if he's friendly with some of the producers and maybe they felt like, well, you know what? Tom Holland, he's kind of young. We need to kind of throw in somebody that sort of embodies a bit more of that kind of grizzled masculinity of some sort of sort. I don't know what they were thinking. But dare I say, but Mark Wahlberg's box office clout is nowhere near what it once was. And he seems to now churn out action films and thrillers that seem very much at home on Netflix. And if they do get a cinema release, they tend to go very much under the radar. And they're kind of the mid-level films. I'm thinking Mile 22 and um, Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day. They seem to kind of come and go and you nearly forget they were even ever out. So... I don't know why they would put someone like Mark Wahlberg in here. Surely there is somebody that has a greater appeal to a younger audience, which this film is very much marketed at, that maybe Mark Wahlberg just doesn't have that really recognisable factor at, at play. Can you understand why he's in this? I think he sells the film very well. And I think he has a name that people associate for some reason like if you look back through his career you're like why is it that mark Wahlberg is considered like a sign of quality but he will sell the absolute christ of a film like this week alone i've seen him in ads for sony tvs hyundai motor cars uncharted i've seen him on every different chat show talking about the film but if you like i said if you look back through his filmography you could say arguably the last time he was in something that was of a real quality was the fighter and that was 2010 that was like 12 years ago now at this point and in that time, he's done things like Spencer Confidential, Joe Bell, or even last year, a film called Infinite, which is genuinely one of the worst films I've ever seen. And when you start off, like he came out with things like, you know, The Basketball Diaries, Fear and Boogie Nights. And you thought he was going to be this kind of, you know, tough guy version of Leonardo DiCaprio. Like he was going to be, you know, the, the tortured actor, the, the kind of the new Brando, essentially. And then his career just took the most unbelievable left turn. He started doing things like Planet of the Apes and The Italian Job. And to be honest, to stay relevant since, you know, the mid 90s to now, there is something about him. But I never watch a film and think, 
no, probably since Boogie, like since the basketball there, I didn't go like oh, Mark Wahlberg was fantastic. That was it, you know, with the exception, obviously, the, the notable one on his, his CV is the departed. You take that out, you never come out of a film going, Is Mark Wahlberg really a fantastic performance? And I forgot that that was Mark Wahlberg in that film. Yeah, it's so true. There, it, yeah, he he doesn't have that many great roles on on the CV. Olivia, you've seen Uncharted. What's the chemistry like between himself? And Tom Holland. Um, was he a worthy choice to play Sully? Bearing in mind, he absolutely looks nothing like the character. So, surprisingly, um, oh, I can't believe I'm actually about to utter these words. The film as a whole is terrible. And it's actually kind of down to the fact that Wahlberg and Holland are so good. It is just this little buddy comedy it's styled in like indiana jones thing and the two of them actually have such chemistry that they are just like they're taking the mickey out of each other constantly throughout the film and it just seems like the two of them got on like a house on fire and they just got what it was that they were trying to do and they ran with it there's little bits in there where you're almost wondering like was that like ad-libbed because it's just so natural between the two of them that you're kind of going that that must have just been something that they just came up with that couldn't have been scripted no maybe it was but it just all flowed really nicely between them. And I never expected myself to say that, but I sat there at one point going, hang on a minute, I'm laughing at a lot of these jokes. Um, am I enjoying it? Holy crap, I'm enjoying it. I'm actually shocked. So out of 10, what are we given Uncharted? So look, it's definitely not a perfect film, but it's certainly a hell of a lot more enjoyable than you think, considering they have marketed this film to hell and back like the guys are everywhere they're even doing promotions for the six nations where mark is team ireland and holland is is team uh, england so i would probably give it a solid ugh, do i go a six or a seven you know i'll be generous let's go seven it was still fun i enjoyed it you you sit there you laugh you see good action and you kind of go huh that was fun all right even like you know like with a jumanji movie like they're grand and they're very yeah. passable and they're fine and they're kind of Indiana Jones light. It feels like uh, something very much in that sort of vein, that kind of derivative Joan, Indiana Jones type of yeah, material. Definitely Indiana Jones light, I think, is a great way to describe it. Now, fans of the video games might still be a little bit peeved when they come out of it. But at the end of the day, if you take it for what they were trying to do, which was just be inspired by the games rather than do a direct copy, I personally think they've actually done all right. Oh, okay, but then Andy, if you're if you love that if you're a lover of that game, you don't want to be inspired by it. Um, is there anything there though that um would hook you in? Would you have any interest in Uncharted? I would purely because I just think Tom Holland is the most charming person on earth, and I just I think it's interesting. Like uh, Mark Mark, I keep calling him Marky Mark, was cast as uh, Nathan Drake a couple of years ago, and David O. Russell was going to be directing the film, and he was helping write the script. David O. Russell dropped out to do Silver Linings Playbook, which might be the greatest shift in like what you were going to do and what you ended up doing in history there's nothing it just anything like this it reminds me of anchorman 2 when i see people hitting the campaign trail this hard it makes me think you just want it this is a smash and grab you want everyone to see this opening weekend before the word gets out of how bad the film is or how average the film is because it doesn't seem like this isn't going to be the kind of thing that's number one or number two in the charts two three weeks from now it'll just disappear from view and i don't think again based on olivia's review it being okay 
I can't see this being the huge blockbuster video game franchise they were hoping it was going to be. Oh, they're always very difficult adaptations. Unfortunately, time is caught up with this. Uh, if, if you've seen any of the films this weekend, get onto Twitter, let us know. Just include the hashtag We Love Movies. From Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey, Chris Wasser, and myself, Gordon Hayden. Thank you so much for your company. We'll do it again next Sunday from 8, right here on Spin.